So since the end of June, we've been talking about these personal encounters that different people have with Jesus. Um, as John tells about them in his gospel, we've talked about Andrew, we've talked about the woman at the well, we've talked about Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees who uh, became a follower. We've talked about the nobleman whose son Jesus healed. We've talked about the woman caught in adultery just last week. We talked about her. And if you've missed any of these messages, you can still hear them online at our website. I know summer's kind of a hit and miss time, and so we try to do that. In every one of these stories, the people's lives were changed when they personally encountered Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is a life changer. Most people's lives are forever changed when they encounter him. I know it's been true of me, it's been true of so many others that I've known, that when our hearts are open to God, he brings Jesus into our lives in some way or another. Uh, it may be through a friend or family member, maybe some clear out of the blue kind of thing happens and you think, you know, I need, to, I need to look at this. I need to think about Jesus. And when we begin to seek God, then Jesus comes to us on this personal level so that we can encounter him and experience him in a way that's kind of tailor-made for us, given our makeup, given our environment, given of our, our, our past. And through this time with Jesus, our lives are impacted. Now, today we're going to talk about a blind man. Uh, it's very obvious that Jesus did something for him. He healed him. He helped him see when, when he had never seen before. But this man had no idea that Jesus was even close to him. Suddenly, Jesus is in his face. <laughs> and his conversations with Jesus totally change his life. He he becomes not only someone who can see, but someone who can see, not just physically, but spiritually. And through his time, he began to see spiritual realities that even the Jewish leaders had not yet understood. So we want to really get into this text. Hope you looked at John chapter 9. We're going to go through that together. But let's pray before we do that. Lord, I pray that we would have insight today. We would have your wisdom. You have uh, shared, you have preserved this word through your apostle John, so that we would know the story of Jesus better. And there are reasons that other people's lives and their stories are included. And today we want to find out about this man who was blind from birth, who suddenly could see. Uh, Lord, may, may we draw from it whatever lessons we need to draw today. Um, guide us. Help us to be uh, humble and open before your word as we open it together. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, our story comes from chapter 9 of the Gospel of John. Our personal encounter for today is one of the most enjoyable, one of the most intriguing conversations you can ever read in the Bible. The whole ninth chapter of John's Gospel is devoted to this story. So we're going to look at the whole ninth chapter. We don't usually do that much. Uh, but we're going to kind of go through it piece by piece and, and think about what's going on here. And then at the end, we'll draw some application. As we see this story unfold... We see the blind man has his eyes opened up, both physically and spiritually, and he comes to believe in Jesus, and his life is changed. Let's go to John 9, chapter 9, verse 1. As they went along, he saw a man that was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is today, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming 
when no one can work, and while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Okay, pause there. This blind man probably had no idea that Jesus was even close by, that he was coming by. Perhaps he was sitting by the side of the road begging you know, food or money from the people going by. And being blind in that day was even worse than today. He couldn't work. He couldn't earn a living. Great hardship. The question that the disciples posed to Jesus revealed a common misunderstanding, actually a, a prejudice that many people had back then, and even still exists in some forms today. And that is a belief that defects or dis disabilities are the result of someone's sin, not just a genetic anomaly or whatever. The disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? He was born blind. Now, this is a foolish idea with no basis in fact. People do not generally have handicaps or deformities because they are their parents' sin. Still, however, today there is a stigma attached, often attached to physical disabilities or defects, but it's really an ugly prejudice. And I, I, I guess it comes from our fallen nature that we want to somehow elevate ourselves by looking down at someone else. I don't really understand it, but I know the attitude is there sometimes. And Jesus was correct to uh, uh, to admonish to correct the understanding of the disciples, the mis misunderstanding, that they, they thought that somehow sin was related to this. And we will see later in the chapter that it is actually something they had learned in, in the Jewish system of, of teaching from the Pharisees and their traditions. Jesus said, no one sinned here. This blindness happened so that God's work could be displayed in this man's life. God is going to do something, and God is going to be glorified by whatever happens here. As long as we are living, we must do God's work, Jesus said. In other words, let's make the most of the time we have here on earth for God. And then he said, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, isn't that interesting that Jesus chose to say, as he was healing this man's physical and spiritual blindness, that he is the light of the world. Now, he's already said this just a, maybe a day or two before. Remember, he's teaching in the temple courts. In John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Obviously, there he's talking more than physical blindness. And eyesight, isn't he? Now, I'd, I'd like to just stop here and make these first seven verses a whole sermon. But we're really trying to get into this man's story, so we have to keep moving. Notice the contrast between the disciples' actions and Jesus' actions. The disciples wanted to discuss the man's condition and figure out why he was blind in the first place. But Jesus didn't discuss anything. He just did something. He did something to help this man born blind. Something no one else could do. He healed him. He spit on the ground, made a little paste or mud, applied it to the man's eyes, and then told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, can you imagine when he came back seeing what it was like, how exhilarating it would be for somebody who had never seen before? Let's try a little experiment. We'll take 30 seconds for it. Close your eyes and imagine that you are completely blind. You have never seen anything. You have never 
seen color. You've never seen anything clearly. Uh, you don't have any light coming into your eyes. It's just darkness all around you every day, your whole life. And you are totally dependent on your other senses to provide you information about the world and the people around you. Just a moment, I'm going to ask you to open your eyes, and I want you to imagine that you are seeing things for the very first time ever. Open your eyes. Sensory overload, right? This is too much. How am I supposed to handle this? I've never seen any of this before. And maybe, unless we have been blind, we really can't imagine how exhilarating it would be to suddenly have sight when you'd never had any. Notice one final point in these first few verses that Jesus sent the man to the pool of Siloam to wash his eyes, to wash the mud so that it would complete his healing. There's a whole sermon right here. John thought it significant to mention the meaning of this word Siloam. It means sent. So he provides his own commentary right in the gospel. The point is pretty obvious, isn't it? Don't, don't miss it. Jesus' healing required the man to do what Jesus told him to do, or he would not have been healed. He just had mud on his eyes. He was sent to the pool of scent, and when he went, he was healed. Let's continue at verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Everyone who knew the man, especially his neighbors, were amazed that he could see. Of course, the change was not only in his ability, but in his appearance. Could you imagine his whole countenance changed? that now he feels like I am fully alive, fully able to experience what God has around me. And they weren't even sure he was the same man. He had been so dramatically changed. Some said, that, that's not the guy, he just looks like him. And finally he had to say, wait a minute, it is me. It's me, all right, it's me. You know, I'm the same guy. Go to verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such a sign? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. So his friends take him to the authorities so that they would know about this miracle. But some of the Pharisees were immediately critical of Jesus' healing on the Sabbath, a day that they weren't supposed to do any work. Now, how much work is it to spit on the ground, make a little mud, put it on the man's eyes? Not very much. But any level of work to them was a, a violation of the Sabbath. And some of them were immediately uh, angry that Jesus would do such a thing, completely disregarding the miracle. Others, however, wondered about this. How could a guy that we're calling a sinner do something like this? How could he have ever done a miracle? And the healed man had his own conclusions to offer, didn't he? He said, he's a prophet. Not to me, he thought. It's 
a pretty logical thing, pretty, pretty simple thing. You know, a man can heal my blindness. He must be a man of God. Go to verse 18. They still not, did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that, that now he can see? Well, we know he is our son, the parents answered. We know that he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. And then John tells us his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said he is of age. Ask him. Now, the authorities had already decided that anyone who followed Jesus, who declared he was the Messiah God had sent into the world, would be excommunicated from the Jewish synagogue. They would not be allowed to worship with the other Jews. They would be shunned by the rest of the community. It would even have an economic impact on them. It was a heavy threat. And so when they asked the man's parents to verify the miracle, what did they do? They threw their son under the bus. <laughs> they said, ask him. He's of age. He can stand on his own two feet. We're not going to be involved. I can only acknowledge that he is our son, that he was born blind. That's all I can tell you. And they put the burden of the rest of the story on him. Verse 24, the second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I don't know, but one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. <laughs> then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? <laughs> he answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? I love that answer, don't you? I mean, this guy is, is witty. He, he's sharp. Uh, would you like to hear the story again? Maybe you want to follow him. Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Here's another zinger. He says, Thou, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. <laughs> Come on, guys. Don't you get it? Don't you see what's happening here? We know, he said, that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. See where the disciples got that attitude? You see where they got that prejudice? They'd been learning it in Hebrew school or in synagogue. You know, this attitude that we're always checking everybody else's sins. And if they got this problem, even a physical deformity like blindness from birth, supposedly somebody sinned or that would not have happened. Then it didn't happen to me and I'm not a sinner. That, see, there's this pride thing that goes around. Do you see the contrast between this man's common sense and the Pharisees' hard-hearted, biased way of thinking? They said to him, tell your story again, and this time, make sure you tell the truth. <laughs> he said, I already told you. Do you want to be his disciples? And they said, well, we know this man is a sinner, so he could never do a miracle of God. And he said, how can he be a sinner? God only works through godly people who do his will. The Pharisees refused to be lectured by him, so they threw him out. Did you notice what they said to the man? You were steeped in sin at birth. <laughs> How dare you lecture us? 
Now think about the way that this man's ideas about Jesus are starting to change here. They're changing dramatically as time goes along. At first, he didn't even recognize Jesus. You know, Jesus comes up to him. He didn't go to Jesus. He didn't know Jesus was there. Jesus has this conversation and heals him. And afterwards, he's not sure how to identify Jesus when they asked him who did this except to say, the man they call Jesus. You know, I've heard about him. I've heard people talking. And then after he's thinking a little bit more about it and, and he's talking about what he's done for him, he says, well, what's your conclusion? He says, this man is a prophet. This is a man of God. So he's changing. And then he says to them further in the conversation, he is a godly man doing the will of God. And he must have at least been thinking about becoming Jesus' disciple because then he says to the Pharisees, do you want to become his disciples also? Implying that, yeah, I'm kind of getting there myself. Let's go to John 9, 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man said, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. <laughs> and then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. The Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what? <laughs> Are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. This man came to believe in Jesus at last. The lights came on. He finally accepted in his heart who Jesus is. He literally fell prostrate before him. That's what he says when he worshipped him. He fell down on the ground before Jesus. He groveled in the dust to pay homage to him. And while he was doing this, Jesus commented to his disciples and others who could overhear it that he came into the world to judge the world. What he meant was to separate those who truly see from those who do not. Jesus said, I came in the world to judge, but this does not mean he came to be our judge. He came to be, remember, our Savior. He made that very clear back in the conversation with Nicodemus. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world could be saved. That's Jesus' reason in coming. But what he's saying is here, when he comes, when he comes as the grace of God, when he comes as the offer of forgiveness and new life of God, it automatically separates people. A judgment occurs on the basis of whether they see who Jesus is and whether they acknowledge him and believe in him and accept what he's offering and then follow him. And those who do that are bound for eternal life. Those who do not continue on their path to hell. There is a judgment happening, happening as soon as Jesus comes into the world. This man in John 9 had been physically blind his entire life, but now he could see both physically and spiritually. And the spiritual was so much greater. That's hard to believe. He had come to know Jesus as the Son of God, and he worshipped him. And we can safely assume that he continued to follow Jesus and be his disciple because his life was forever totally changed. 
Now, let me share a couple applications that may be good for each of us to reflect on over this coming week. So we have a piece of paper or the back of the bulletin or something, write down a couple things to think about. From this man's story, from this personal encounter with Jesus, what can we learn? Well, one thing is this thing about, you know, going after somebody because they have this, this problem and they're somehow, it's because of God. God did this because of sin in their life and so on. Here's first application. Your current circumstances do not prove or disprove God's goodness. We just live in a fallen world. You know, you, you may be having a lot of problems. You may be having uh, something going on in your life that you wonder, where did that come from? Why am I having to go through this? And bad circumstances aren't always the result of someone's sin. Now, sometimes we get consequences from our sinful actions, and so let's acknowledge that. But Jesus wanted to correct this line of thinking that says there's always cause and effect. There's always, always something to look back to and say, that's the reason you're struggling. That's the why reason you're sick. That's the why reason your wife left you. That's the reason you lost your job, you know, whatever it may be. And we may sit back, you know, and observe this and think that someone has done wrong. And there may be no wrong at all involved in that. Often illnesses, often accidents, often tragedies are not directly related to the person on whom they fall. We live in a creation that has been corrupted by the entrance of sin into the world. God created this perfect world, this, this clock-like world that is amazing in its precision. And it's now messed up. We're messed up as as part of that creation and all the creation around us. That's why there's all these natural disasters. That's why there's illness. That's why there's defects and deformities and disabilities and all these things that come as a result of sin's entrance into the world. Bad things happen even to good people. Bad things happen that can't be explained except that creation is corrupted. And sometimes that's all I can say as a pastor to somebody. I'm sorry you're going through this. I see what you're having to struggle with. And I don't know the reason except that we live in a fallen world. So when you are suffering, when it's your turn, when it's your situation, don't think that God has abandoned you or that God is playing some kind of capricious trick on you. No one sinned here, Jesus said. This blindness happened so that God's work might be displayed in his life. And I don't know what God will do. I don't know what that work will be. In this case, it was a healing. But when you experience tragedy, or when you experience a setback, look to see what God is going to do with that situation. Watch to see what God will move in next. God's greatest work is often done in the midst of our suffering, isn't it? And so when we see somebody like Mac, 30 years, after an accident, and he's paralyzed. How did God work then in Mac's life? How did he work in Millie and Mike's lives? How did he work in this church that rallied around them and, and did things to help them? You know, just what does God do as a result of this fallen world's tragedy or suffering? So there's first point. Second point, don't expect Jesus to always work the same way. Obey him. And you will be blessed. When Jesus changed the water to wine at the wedding, first miracle that we saw in John, if you've been reading John, he just told the servants what to do. He, he didn't get involved. He didn't touch the water, didn't touch the wine. He just said something and it happened. 
when he healed the nobleman's son, remember? He never even went and saw the boy. He didn't touch the boy. He healed him from a great distance. When Jesus calmed the stormy sea, he stood up and he spoke to the wind and the waves. Wow. He doesn't work the same way every time. Even when he decides to heal someone's blindness, he doesn't always choose the same way. In Matthew 9, Jesus healed some blind men together by simply touching their eyes. He just reached out, touched them, healed. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus met another blind man, and he spit on the man's eyes. That's kind of gross, you know. Talk about being in your face. <laughs> and he said, can you see now? Well, not really, kind of. I see people moving around like trees, I think he said. Jesus said, okay, let me, let me do some more. He touched his eyes, and then when the man opened them, he could see clearly, completely clear. And then here, John 9, he has this, this opportunity to do something different. He spits on the ground, makes the mud, puts on his eyes, but he doesn't heal him immediately. He says, I want you to do something. You go down, you find the pool of scent, and you wash. And then the man saw. So don't get upset if Jesus changes up things on you. You say, well, that's not what you did for my friend. That's not how you took care of their situation. You're doing something different here, Lord, I don't understand. Why don't you do things the way you did before? I just want to encourage you. If this happens to you and you're kind of wondering, where are you? Why are you doing it this way? Just obey him. Just obey him. Do what he says to do and his blessing will follow, you know, Uh, and What you know to do, just go do it, and then watch what Jesus does. Third application. God's work in your life might draw the attention of others, so talk freely about what God is doing. You know, God does something in your life. Tell other people about it. Perhaps they will see the change in you. Just as a blind man's friend saw a change in him, they said, we don't even recognize him anymore. Is that him? And God could suddenly change your life so dramatically that you would have a great opportunity for a testimony, for a witness to what God has done in your life. So speak freely when that moment comes. Be a witness to the good things that God is doing or teaching you. You don't have to know a lot of theology to talk about what Christ has done for you. You know, you don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to sit at the feet of some, some learned scholar and say, teach me everything you can for the next three years so that I can talk to somebody about Jesus. All you have to do is know what Jesus did for you. And then you can talk freely about what he's done. And God will do the rest. So let's, let's take our, clue, our, our cue from this blind man that Jesus healed. He said, look to the Pharisees, I, I don't have all your answers. I can't answer every question, but this I know. I was blind, but now I see. That was his testimony and is a very powerful one. Fourthly, be prepared to choose sides in your life and always choose God. The healed man had to choose sides quickly. Pharisees had already condemned Jesus. Now he had healed on the Sabbath. They made the man choose sides. They made his parents choose sides. They threatened social, religious, and economic repercussions if they sided with Jesus. But the man was not afraid because he knew he had been healed and he knew who healed him. And he chose to be with Jesus. Best best decision of your life. There will be times in our lives... Very real times, graphic, times of gravity, when we have to decide whose side we're going to be on. Whether we're going to side with our friends, 
whether we're going to side with our family. You know, this is the way we do it in our family. This is the way our friends do it. This is the way my peers expect me to behave. And God's asking me to do something else. God is saying, it's time to separate yourself from that. It's time to choose a different path. Choose sides. You can't be effective. You can't grow as a Christian. You can't be an effective witness if you're always waffling. Well, with them, I just do whatever they do. When I get to church, I do whatever the church people do. It doesn't work that way. Choose sides. Don't be afraid to choose God. You will never regret it. You will never regret that. So if you're in a place where you have to make a decision today, you have to choose your sides. Choose wisely. Choose God. Final application. There is no greater blindness than spiritual blindness. Open your eyes to God. You may think, you may have time to think about this later. Spiritualities may not even be on your radar. You know, my life is so busy, I don't have time for this. I can't think about these things right now. But let me encourage you, even strongly warn you this morning, to open your eyes. Open your spiritual eyes. Open your eyes to what God is doing in your life because just as he sent Jesus into this man's life, he's sending Jesus into your life and you could miss him. You could sit by the side of the road in your blindness and never even know Jesus walked past you. And you would miss the encounter of your life because you were blind. God's spirit is pursuing each of us He's trying to bring the light of the world into your life and into mine. You know why people miss Jesus? Because they're so blind they can't see him. They are so darkened in their hearts and their minds. You know, the scripture talks about this a lot. It says, you know, there are people whose hearts are darkened, whose, whose very vision is darkened, and they don't see the light of God. They're blind and they don't even know it. In fact, some of the most learned people, most people with the greatest number of degrees, most number of PhDs and all that, are the most blind people on this earth. But it's not about that. It's about having your heart and mind open to the wisdom, the eyesight, the vision that God could bring to you. If that is you, that you are blind today, if you just would just get that point to that, that far to say, I've been living in blindness. I'm sitting by the side of the road. I wouldn't even know Jesus was walking by. He could be right in my face and I would miss it. And open your eyes and step out of the darkness and see who Jesus is. Would you pray with me? Lord, I just pray today for anybody that's here that's in blindness. I pray that their hearts would be open today. I know you will not force yourself, that you're a gentleman. You are not going to make yourself uh, visible to them when they just want to be closed off. But I pray that something inside them right now would be prompted to open up their hearts, to open up their minds to you and to see Jesus for who he is. Lord, you have a healing that only Jesus can give us. He is the light of the world. I pray today that we would see his light and that we would come to that light gladly, joyfully. Lord, if we have to choose sides, 
in our life as a Christian. Make that clear to us today, what to do, how to, how to play that out, and do it now. Do it today. Because, Lord, we, we just can't keep living in limbo. I pray today, Lord, that the Jesus light would just uh, spread across our lives today. Wherever there is any darkness, that it would dispel that darkness and we would run to the light of his presence. There's a Christian brother or sister here today, Lord, that is struggling with the darkness, who's enamored with the darkness, who's sneaking off into the darkness. Lord, uh, confront them today. May they come out into the light. And may they bring all that they are into your light, that light so they can glorify you by the way they live. Bless us all, Lord. Whatever struggles we may have, that we would know that you will not abandon us or forsake us, that you will be with us, and that you will glorify yourself even through our struggles. Lord, we pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. We have an amazing Lord who gives us amazing grace. We're going to sing about him now. If you have any, any uh, need for prayer, any need for decision today, uh, just go back to the back corners of the room here while we're singing. And uh, I'm going to ask uh, Tim and, and Steve to get back there with you today, our elders. And they'll pray with you there. And if you have any decisions you need to share, they can talk with you. But let's do that at the back of the room today. Would you stand and let's sing about amazing grace.